This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. If you're growing your business, leading change within your organization, or undertaking any sort of operational or technology change initiative, this podcast is for you. This show covers what you need to know about digital transformation, organizational change, operational improvement, and business growth. Five, four, three, two, one. And now, here's your host, Eric Kimberling. Hello and welcome to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 64. Thanks for joining us here today. We have uh, an exciting episode here with Kyler Cheatham. Kyler, thanks for being here. Happy to. So we've got another good episode, a lot of really interesting stuff we're going to cover today. Uh, We're going to start off with some hot topics and and fun stuff in the industry or happening in the industry right now. Uh, We'll talk about the non-monetary benefits of artificial intelligence. So we'll get into some of the, the upside and uh, ROI components of artificial intelligence. We'll talk about the misunderstanding behind the great resignation. So um, we've heard a lot about the great resignation and some of the displacement happening in the labor market right now, but there's also a fair amount of misunderstanding of what that means. So we're going to dive into that a bit uh, in our hot topic segment. Um, we're also going to talk about digital transformations happening in the African region, um, in Rwanda in particular. So we'll talk about some trends and movement that we're seeing in, in that part of the world. Um, We're going to talk about flexible supply chain management platforms and how the market is pushing for more flexibility in supply chain management technologies. Um, We're going to talk about the use of AI and entertainment, as well as the growth of GovTech in the global space. So if you're in the government or or the uh, non or in the public sector, I should say, um, then you will find that that uh, topic interesting. So that's the hot topic stuff we're going to cover in the first opening segment. And then later in the show. We're going to have Teresa Richardson, who is a director of strategy and transformation at Third Stage Consulting. She's going to be on the show talking about artificial intelligence and change management and how those two things go together, uh, two seemingly very different disciplines, one being data driven and and very technical on the AI side, um, converging with the soft side of change, which is oftentimes nebulous and hard to figure out and hard to navigate. It's based on human interactions, which is always difficult or challenging or unpredictable at best. So we're going to talk about how AI and change management are coming together and how they're converging uh, in recent years and where that's headed in the future. So that should be a really interesting conversation later today. And then the third segment we have will be with uh, Kyler and Adam Cheatham talking about uh, project leadership within digital transformation. So if you're a leader on a project or um, you want to inspire other leaders within your transformation team, that'll be a good topic for uh, discussion here today. But before we jump into all that good stuff, there's a lot that we're going to cover here today. Let's get to some of these hot topics. What have you got for us, Skylar? Yeah. So first, I want to talk about the non-monetary benefits of AI. You know, obviously, we know that having that data assets that AI produces a lot of times um, achieves ROI goals, which are more of a a data-based product. But uh, actually, MIT Sloan Management recently did um, a review of how AI enhances corporate culture. And they um, listed three things that um, it it actually improved. So it improved efficiency, um, 
decision-making, and then better collaboration with teams. So I wanted to ask you, uh, the better collaboration with teams, how, can you give us an example of how AI might do that? Because that's the one piece that I don't know that I understood. And a lot of this episode is spent on kind of defining what AI is. So I wondered if you could give us kind of an example of, of what that might mean as far as corporate collaboration and communication. Yeah, um, it's a good question. So I guess with with AI, you know, allowing organizations to have, uh, first of all, better visibility to data. I guess if if you sort of back up away from the the details of um, of what AI is or how it works, if we just sort of look at what it, at its fundamental level, what's happening is you have more transparency across an organization to to data, and so to the extent that AI can enable that further and enable that greater visibility and greater meaning to the data that organizations have, then there's a lot of uh, focus that can be directed at that sort of top result of what, you know, what AI is, is driving towards or what the data is telling you, you know, is, is going to happen in the future or, um, you know, whether you're talking about different components of people's jobs that, that they're going to do better or more effectively, whatever the case may be, um, AI is providing that data that will allow um, allow organizations to to have that sort of focus. So I think that's probably at its most fundamental level, you know, maybe a, a very broad example is just having that visibility to the data right. enterprise wide, which is allows the teams to collaborate and focus on making use of that data and solving whatever problem it is that they're trying to solve with that data. Absolutely. And I, I think the understanding piece is so important there of a lot of times that can kind of resurrect areas of the organization that you didn't realize had the opportunity to collaborate. Right. Um, without that data, you know, how does the supply chain management affect the sales process and having that full visibility, as you mentioned, can showcase, oh, well, maybe we can um, change the sales process because we have supply chain challenges and there's opportunities to optimize the business and understand that because of the AI product and you know data storytelling that we see. Um, right. So definitely that's a great example. Um, speaking of supply chain, we are talking about supply chain systems and kind of the call in the industry for additional flexibility. And I'm really interested to have your feedback on that. So um, we, we talk about kind of flexible semiconductor platforms, basically bringing all of the the traditional supply chain analytics into meeting a design dynamic. So more of an ability to consider consider, you know, how does the product design go into that? Um, this research I did gave an example of the construction industry. A lot of times the construction industry had the ability to get lumber pre-cut and with supply chain challenges globally right now, they're having to actually cut the lumber to construct a house as opposed to being able to do that. So there's a need in that technology space to have that design dynamic. And I wondered, you know, being an industry thought leader and having a pulse on supply chain and the great episode of Ground Control last week where you discussed supply chain evolution in detail. Do you feel like this new wave of creativity in actual technical platforms for supply chain is something that we will continue to see? Or is this kind of just a, a you know, a one fluctuation within a trend because of a global shortage at this point? 
No, I think it's just probably going to be accelerating a trend that was already in place. You know, I think that mm -hmm. we were moving towards a need to have more flexibility and more integration of supply chains back upstream, back to the product design phase and, and really tying together everything in between. So I think it's really just accelerating what, you know, what was already going to happen. It's just giving us more of a burning platform of we, we need to do it now because supply chains are broken. Um, hopefully, I don't think, but uh, hopefully people won't revert back, you know, to the, to the previous ways uh, prior to, to uh, the pandemic. But um, yeah, that would be my prediction for the, where we're headed. And so Eric, we know that a lot of times um, we can, software vendors will kind of lag behind trends within the industry. Is there a way to accelerate kind of those research and development testings of systems overall, you know, uh, technical pieces that go into software development. Can they do that faster? Is that even possible? Um, I think they can, but um, I'd say the bigger concern or challenge is that there's so much capability that organizations haven't taken advantage of that, that already exist. You know, so I think the, the vendors are, I'm not, honestly, I'm not that worried about the software vendors. They're usually pretty far ahead of where most, you know, mainstream organizations are anyway. I worry more about organizations and their ability to catch up or keep up with where the vendors are headed. But having said that, I mean, I, there's no reason they couldn't speed it up. I mean, they're doing their software vendors are focused so much on agile development and really just mm -hmm. cranking out um, R and D and just cranking out new capabilities into the technologies. Um, it's more, you know, can, can organizations keep up is more the question. Interesting. Yeah. That's a, a totally flipped perspective um, than I had. I thought organizations would kind of go, faster than the vendors and create that demand but it sounds like that's actually uh flipped yeah in my opinion it is i, I think organizations are usually going to move a lot slower than the software vendors can not because they want to or they don't want to adopt technology sure. but it just because the the vendors technology changes faster than people is probably the yeah, best way to absolutely say and i know you and teresa will kind of get into that um a little later in this episode so definitely stay tuned for that um speaking of slow moving industries we have this um kind of march towards gov tech globally as the COVID 19 pandemic really forced that transformation to take place because we couldn't do a lot in person um, so there's been a huge shift globally uh, and uh, a recent study kind of showcased there's a, a lot of great examples of how government platforms have utilized technology to do some of their basic services. Um, for example, uh, Estonia has managed to make 99% of governance government services available online. Um, their X-Road platform connects the information systems from the public sector to various private sector opportunities and providers. So they've leveraged that ability to embrace technology within their overall services. Um, so I wanted to kind of get your reaction to this government new technology because we all know at least here in the united states if in the in my experience in working for the government they can very be very slow to embrace new technologies so is that an industry or an example of a perception and overall culture that will totally flip as a result of the covid 19 pandemic yeah it's a, that's a better that's a good question i don't know 
Um, I hadn't really thought of that. Um, I, I would think so. I, I think a lot of these changes we're seeing will probably stick, but, um, but then again, there's other things that, you know, I've been wrong about or that a lot of us couldn't predict. Like for example, even though it has nothing to do with what you just asked me uh, technology wise, but I, I'm fascinated by how something as simple as like the handshake. Um, yeah. I remember people saying like people would not, you know, wouldn't shake hands anymore after the pandemic. We sort of learned that you shouldn't do that. And we're going to get used to not shaking hands and doing fist bumps or elbow bumps or whatever instead, um, or chest bumps in the case of my, my young kids. Um, but the, uh, but, but yet handshakes are back and, you know, I've, I've been traveling a lot over the last several mm -hmm. months. It's amazing to me that it real, I rarely meet anyone now that isn't, um, yeah. embracing the handshake. Um, so anyway, so it, I could be wrong. Maybe we go back to our old ways cause that's just how we are, but I, I, I guess I'll, I'll be curious as well to see to where that goes in the, in the government space. But I do know that's a very real trend. You know, governments are trying to automate more and more and, and get caught up with the rest of the, the private sector as well. Yeah. And, and it's um, a really interesting that it's, it's um, experienced that transformation on both sides of the organization, right? Both internally, as a lot of governments were the first to go completely remote and a lot of times the last to go back um, to more hybrid model. And then also externally, you know, with the customer, quote unquote, the constituent, you know, the citizens and their ability to access government services that are required by some sort of policy. Um, so for me, you know, that's really interesting is it, it flipped on both ways is it was traditionally, at least here in the United States, um, all in person as opposed to, you know, any sort of opportunity to utilize technology to make those transactions happen uh, from a citizen's perspective, leveraging technology or a platform of such. And it seems as though a lot of these GovTech platforms are really popping up globally to be able to service the public sector specifically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. Speaking of some global innovations, I wanted to talk um, specifically about Rwanda and their um, their goals to innovate kind of their information technology through looking to the space industry. Um, so it looks to contribute 10% of GDP in the next decade, um, as opposed to doing 3% right now and launch thousands of satellites by 2023. Um, and this movement, obviously, as we know, in working in the Africa space is uh, going to triple the contributions of communications and connectivity in the region over the next decade. Um, so looking at that as space is an opportunity to create connectivity, I thought was a very interesting um, strategy because a lot of times we see with our eastern african marketplace that connectivity and systems can be a big barrier to any sort of digital transformation or it project development so i wanted to just get your reaction to that and knowing that you've worked to build out our africa office which we have now in cape town south africa and our regional teams to see if you think that this connectivity and and rush towards that will be continued um a continued trend within that specific marketplace yeah it is what we're seeing there I, I think in a lot of industries we're just seeing a lot of advancements in technology and in a lot of uh accelerating adoption of technologies um you know at a faster pace in africa than than some other parts of the world as well 
Um, so yeah, absolutely. I, I think that is something that um, we're, we're seeing more of. Absolutely. And I, I know our team there has a, a really specific skill set in servicing these types of clients within the Africa and global market. Um, so it'll definitely be something that I'll be excited to continue to see the progress and just understand the um, nuances of helping clients in that area. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's an exciting region to be consulting in for sure. And, and that's part of what, what's so exciting about our, our office there. Yeah, absolutely. And a great team there. If you haven't um, checked out uh, Clifford Martin, um, he's the head of our Africa office. He was ground control a few weeks ago. So definitely check that out. You can search the function wherever you get um, your podcasts for just Africa and see all of our, our content there. Um, but switching gears pretty significantly. Um, so for any of our uh, Top Gun fans out there, Top Gun obviously is one of uh, the most popular movies in history here in the United States um, and just came out with a sequel. So if you remember Val Kilmore um, in that role, uh, he actually in the movie utilized AI to actually speak. He was diagnosed about a decade ago with throat cancer and actually speaks with a voice box. And they created a platform within the, the Top Gun Maverick, which is the sequel. And he partnered with a tech company um, to actually have art artificial intelligence copy his voice and actually sound like he can speak. So he's been a main proponent in uh, any sort of um, speech challenged folks within that area to utilize this new technology to actually be creative and be able to communicate. Um, so I'm going to read you a quote and I, I just want kind of your feedback on it um, from him. And he said, people around me struggle to understand me when I'm talking. But despite all that, I still feel as I am the exact same person still the same creative soul, a soul that dreams of ideas and stories constantly. But now I can express myself again and bring those dreams to you, show you this part of myself once more, a part that was never truly gone, just hiding away. So I thought that was a really kind of beautiful way to express how technology can really embrace the the creativity of someone that isn't able to express it verbally. So I thought as a big music fan, you know, big entertainment fan, I would get your, um, your take on that. Yeah. I think that's super cool. I had no idea that they were, they had done that and I didn't know the, the backstory of Val Kilmer or, or Iceman. Isn't that the character? Is that the character he is in Top Gun? Is, is Iceman or is that his name? Iceman. No, I think it's Goose, right? Oh. No. I thought Goose is the one that died. Wasn't Goose the one that died in the first yeah. top? Yeah. Sorry. I, like I might have taken I might have taken us down a rabbit hole. Yeah, right. Awesome. <laughs> but you know, it's all about flying in space and yeah. you know, it all sort of ties together maybe in some way. But um no, that's super cool. I think it, it actually reminded me of um when you were talking about Val Kilmer and the use of AI to to enhance his voice. Um it reminds me of how I got duped on uh, TikTok recently. Um, we, we have TikTok channels now. And, and so I'll, you know, I research to see what other, you know, uh, influencers are doing on TikTok. And somehow this um, Tom Cruise account showed up in my feed, feed and the TikTok handle is called Deep Tom Cruise. 
and it looks it, it is Tom Cruise. I mean, it's Tom Cruise doing these funny things. And I, I really like this channel, but then I realized or that somehow I found out it's not really Tom Cruise. It's like an AI um, enhanced version. And I think Tom Cruise is like an investor in the company or he's somehow affiliated oh, with the company. And okay. he, gave them, he gave them permission to create this TikTok account where some yeah. actor actors act like him, but the AI is amazing. Like it looks, and in fact, after I learned this, I went back to watch it, the videos again and I could not tell that it wasn't Tom Cruise, even though I knew it wasn't. And now I know it's AI, you know, facial recognition and stuff. Um, and so it's just coincidental that Tom Cruise also being in Top Gun um, recently duped me on TikTok. But it's, it's another example, though, of how AI and all these, you know, different technologies are converging to create all these different um, use cases. Um, and I'm, I'm also curious, too, like how it, um, you know, how just content creation, you know, how it can enhance and enable, you know, more longevity in, in certain types of content as well. Like in that example of being able to enhance, you know, someone who's deteriorated or the voice is deteriorated. Now you're able to create more of a legacy or to, you know, capture some of that content that you wouldn't have otherwise captured. So I think it's super cool and super interesting. Absolutely. Well, I'll have to check out that channel. Um, but yeah, just Eric is on TikTok with his personal account. We do have a brand TikTok and definitely I will go investigate the AI Tom Cruise. So yeah, deep Tom Cruise. On, yeah. On check it out. It's, it's <laughs> well, on kind of that trending shift, I wanted to kind of end our hot topics with um, this really interesting concept around the great resignation um, and how it has affected the workforce. Obviously, we've seen this huge shift in people leaving their jobs or moving to a different different industry or anything like that. Um, and I think it's a good reminder that many people were forced into that transition and a lot of innovation has been built from that. So especially when it comes to women, a lot were forced to leave their workforce because they had to educate their children during the mm -hmm. pandemic. And that's just what we saw as being parents in general um, in having to move to a remote learning and supporting that and figuring out how to be able to do your job or if your job is in person to leave the workforce. Um, and the great resignation, a lot of times looks like it was a choice for some people, but it wasn't for others. But I think the the positive shift in this research showcases that there has been, you know, a, a huge boom in small businesses um, that allows the employee the power to kind of create their role as opposed to, you know, going into more of a, a typical job function. Um, so a lot of times this research is trying to position it as an opportunity for organizations to kind of meet the employee in the middle or meet the customer in the middle when it comes to how you know they, they interact internally and externally uh, before and after this disruption. Um, so I, I wanted to get your feedback on, on this, Eric, to see kind of in the opportunity lens of, of, you know, kind of leveraging the employee's desire for what their role will look like in understanding just the, the socioeconomic and cultural shifts after the COVID-19 pandemic. Is this a really an opportunity for organizations to uh, better enhance their culture and understand what their employees' needs are, as opposed to just losing a huge amount of their resources and workforce? 
Yeah, that's deep. That's a deep question. Uh, that's why I wanted to end with it because I'm like, I don't know really where this will go after. But right. yeah, I think uh, well, it's a it's a super interesting thought that I hadn't put a whole lot of thought into. But um, yeah, I do think that um, you know, I'll be curious to see what you know where where this lands. You know, as far as the um, you know, obviously people's lives have been disrupted and work lives have been disrupted, and how is how is the dust going to settle? You know, I think the dust is settling right now in terms mm -hmm. of what our what's organizational life going to look like in the future. And I think a lot of organizations are still trying to figure that out. Um, but I think, you know, it is a good you know reminder that, you know, a few things. I mean, one is that it's very difficult to uh, build and preserve a really strong culture entirely remotely, you know, or entirely mm -hmm. physically distanced. Um, I think at some point you know, we kind of have to settle back in the middle somewhere where you do have that human interaction and the face-to-face -face, um, communication and interactions and all that stuff. Um, but as far as, uh, you know, as far as other, um, you know, as far as the, the culture is being built, I think a lot of organizations for, have forgotten and now need to remind themselves that they do need to focus on building that culture and, and mm -hmm. focusing on that. So those are just some thoughts that come to mind, but it's, it's a really uh, interesting question. And I didn't realize... Um, and I guess I had heard or, or seen anecdotal examples or stories that so many people had left for other reasons, not just because they got fed up with their right. job and decided they wanted to quit. A lot of times it was just life situations. They, they had to, they, they didn't yeah. have much of a choice. Um, yeah. So I think that's an interesting trend. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a, a misunderstood trend sometimes because it's not that they're simply quitting to find a different job. It's because they're quitting because they have to um, reprioritize, if you will. So, and it's also a different, uh, a really interesting perspective of maybe offering that remote option is building company culture. So we'll have to see how that goes. But to, back to your handshake example, there is a level of human face-to-face -face interaction that we, I think, just as overall human beings need to uh, engage in um, just from a, you know, a a comfort level standpoint and just a purpose standpoint. So it'll be interesting to see, like, do we see this huge shift in more autonomy for middle management and less like structured policy and more in individual employee focused policy? Or is it something, um, you know, that, that we have to understand the crave and the desire for face-to-face -face interaction as well. So, yeah. So it, it's different. It's interesting. And I would, you know, I don't envy large organizations that do usually standardize their policies um, in trying to figure out and navigate this different world of shifting workforce. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That'll be uh, an interesting to see where where that trend goes. And that actually sort of ties into our our first yeah. guest that we'll have on with, with Teresa um, when we talk about workforces and transitioning workforces. Um, we're actually going to talk about change management and artificial intelligence and how those two seemingly disparate disciplines are coming together to create an interesting conversion of data-driven technology like artificial intelligence combining mm -hmm. forces with human-centric, um, unpredictable disciplines like change management. And so how, how do those two things come together? And that's what we're going to talk about with Teresa Richardson when we come back from a quick break. We'll have Teresa on. She'll talk about the convergence of AI and change management. But first, we'll take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control.
If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 64. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter, as well as all of the audio podcast platforms out there in the marketplace. So if you're on Spotify, Pandora, Amazon, Google Podcasts, or whatever platform you listen to podcasts, be sure to check us out there. I'm excited for our next guest, who is someone that is recently promoted to director level at Third Stage Consulting in our U.S. office. Um, she's been on the show before talking about change management type stuff, but never change management in the context of artificial intelligence as we're going to uh, do today. So with all that being said, Teresa, welcome to the show. The whole sink or swim thing began back in my days uh, as a in manufacturing. When I worked, when I lived in Michigan, I worked with uh, several of the big three uh, automotive manufacturing. So my journey to change management has started out organically, meaning I started out with a really hard methodology. Um, I did lean manufacturing, smart manufacturing, um, lean Six Sigma, et cetera. Within those methodologies, it became quite apparent to me that if you don't have the team that is buying into what you're doing, you're going to fall flat on your face. So understanding how to really get the team around what I'm doing and being having them being part of the conversation for the solution and having them be part of the action planning and the execution is very important. And honestly, that's how my change management uh, journey began. Um, I'm a certified ProSci change management practitioner, and I've had years and years of experience within change in many industries, uh, again, from automotive, to healthcare, IT, logistics, tech, et cetera. So the, I cannot underscore how important it is to get the teams engaged in what you're doing, especially if I've said it probably 2000 times now, if, if unless your process is 99.9% .9 automated, you're gonna have people involved. Yeah. Right. So. And that's again, why this topic's so interesting because Absolutely. In are automating people's jobs. So how does that affect, um, you know, how does that affect it and that sort of thing? That's part of what, what we'll get to here today. But I guess dive before into. we, before we dive into those details though, I guess just to start just real basic fundamental sort of overview 101 response here to, you know, let's cover AI and change management individually. And then we'll kind of come back to how it all comes together. How does change management, the people side of change converge with the AI technologies that are available out there. But to start, just tell us a little bit about what exactly is artificial intelligence. I know we've all probably heard the term, but a lot of us may not fully understand what that really means. 
Sure. So AI really, what it is, is it's a field that combines computer science and the and our database sets together to help make problem solving easier. You can interpret the data, you can learn from it using AI, and then you can use it to help you uh, achieve certain goals. Um, I would also like to say that this field is exploding. Um, so the global artificial intelligence market right now is valued at $62 billion in 2020. And is it, it's expected to grow at a compound annual growth rate of 42% from 2021 to 2028. So it's really, really important to be able to get in front of that and understand what artificial intelligence is. You know, you have artificial intelligence, you have machine learning, you have deep learning. So, you know, someone who is not a data scientist or, or doesn't have their fingers or on the pulse of what AI is, you really need to get ahead of that curve because it's coming. And I know we've had a brief conversation about this, um, this, this wave that's coming and we need to be prepared because people instinctually don't like change to begin with. They don't like it. So when you add the extra layer of an artificial intelligence system coming into your workplace, your organization to make things more efficient, you know, to, to have a, a better understanding of your data sets, et cetera, that's going to even make the issue worse. So if you don't get ahead of it now and understand the growth rate, understand what it is, understand how it can help your teams instead of having the fear grow in your teams and thinking it's going to hinder them or even worse, replace them, right? That's, it's going to make your, your, the, the journey for your change practitioners or your change activities even harder. Hmm, right. Okay. So then just to maybe help us understand, so that's a little bit about AI, but what about change management as a discipline? Just how do you, how do you simplify that or just sort of give us an introductory overview sure. of what exactly it is? So, so change management really is the people side of your change. It's understanding how your teams are looking at the problem ahead of you. So when you look at a change management initiative or a definition of it, you really need to focus on the people aspect of that activity. So it's, it's communication, it's training, it's, it's learning, it's having them part of the current state analysis and having them part of the solution for the future state analysis or the future state initiative. And again, you know, if you want to sum it up into like one sentence, change management is the people side of change and how you're going to help facilitate your teams to go from current state as is to future state with high adoption and usage rates. Gotcha. Yeah, that's a good, I like that one sentence um, way you described that there. That is a, a great way to to view it. So um, so that's a good overview to start sort of of the two pieces we're talking about here today, the AI piece and then the, the change management um, piece. So if we sort of come back to AI then, and, and let's kind of hone in on that for a second, just looking at AI and then how, how change management enables AI or why change management, change management is so important to AI. Um, what, what are some of the major impacts that AI typically would have on an organization and then the resulting impact on people in particular? So, so 
why is change management so important for for AI? You know, what are those impacts? So let's let's just take an example of a project management project manager. So how much time does a project manager really spend with those mundane tasks of updating, you know, their spreadsheets, looking at Gantt charts, et cetera, et cetera? A lot, right? Like 15, 20% of their time, maybe a little bit more, a little bit less. With, with an AI, you could actually have those things automated. You could have triggers in there that would alert you that you're behind your project. You could have like a PM bot or whatever you want to call it, go in there and, and monitor your your statistics, monitor your KPIs, making sure you're on on task and target, making sure you're on budget, you know, alerting you of things coming like, okay, hey, this is coming up or you, you know, you're you're, you're getting too close to your target if you want to be below it. So AI really helps to use the data sets that you have to become more efficient in what you do. So, you know, I, I liken it back to um, like my Lean Six Sigma, you have value added tasks and you have non-value added tasks. You know, value added tasks are, are what the customer is going to pay you. So I believe that AI can help you take over those non-value added tasks so you can be more productive in, in what your skill set really calls for. You know, if you're if you're a PM and you're spending 20% or 15% of your time, you know, doing these mundane tasks, that's 20, 20% of your time you could be using for something within your realm of responsibility. Right. Right. So that so that project manager task is a, is a good example or that project manager role is a good Absolutely. example of how, of how AI can affect say 15 to 20% of your job. It's been, you know, being automated or at least you're helping you have a tool set that can help you automate that job. Absolutely. And in honestly change AI can help you with your data analytics, predictive analytics. I don't think People use predictive analytics as much as they should, meaning that you're able to take your data set and help you to see the impact of one avenue versus the other. Um, predictive analytics to highlight areas of a concern. To, you know, you could use your change bot, if you will. And I've know I've done some reading and I've seen that term out there to help identify those opportunities. You know, suggest some corrective actions which honestly will have a quicker or better impact to your ROI. Like, you know, you spend a lot of time um, doing data analytics and, and, and looking at, at your usage rates and your adoption rates, et cetera, et cetera. Imagine a world where that, uh, that information is quickly populated from a change bot or what, whatever AI term you want to use, and it's right at your fingertips. So instead of you having to go out and, and research and get this information, it's right at your fingertips so you can make decisions quicker, which would have a better impact to your ROI. You can use the, the AI to help um, when you're looking at digital um, adoption platforms, you can help with training, you can help with onboarding, you can get your, your metrics sooner, you can get all this information again uh, at your fingertips. And, and like I said, back to the project management um, example, Taking your skill set and being able to use a larger portion of the skill set towards the activity versus mundane tasks is going to be huge for not even productivity, but for results. Right. In my gotcha. So, so I guess then that, you know, you've talked about ways that AI can help um, an organization, but at the end of the day, it's, it's, um, it's automating part of, 
or replacing part of people's jobs in some way, oftentimes, which I would imagine would create a certain amount of fear and trepidation and resistance to change because I don't, you know, it's as cool as it sounds to have that chat bot or that um, change bot you're talking about or that um, that bot that can help me project manage better and give me inputs. I, I still might worry that you're taking away the value that I bring because I manually do that or I, you know, I've got something in my head that I typically would have done in the past that's now being done by AI technology. How does AI, how do you see it affecting resistance to change? And, and you know, how to, what are some of the best ways to overcome that, that fear, which I think is a bit different for AI than even other types of technologies we've seen over the years? Well, I, again, I think this adds another layer of what if or how does this impact me? And that always comes back to a lack of understanding. So in my opinion, people don't go to work to do a bad job. They want to be part of a solution. They want to be part of something exciting and, and something of growth, right? They want to put their fingerprints on what they're doing because it, it brings a sense of fulfillment, right? So if you're spending your time, 20% of your time or so on mundane tasks, how is that really speaking to your desire of wanting to be part of something good, right? So whenever you look at any change management um, initiative, you have to understand why we're not why we're not embracing this. And, and a lot of times it has to do with the fear of the unknown. I, I don't understand how is this going to impact my job? You know, I know a lot of the projects that I've worked on, you have a lot of workarounds that people spend a lot of time, building and they don't want to give it up. They don't want to, they don't want to get out of their comfort zone. But if, if you are able to show the benefits of, you know, using this technology to your benefit, like, Hey, Eric, I know, you know, I know you spend, you know, X amount of time doing these administrative tasks or what have you, what, what, what would you feel about us being able to automate that so you can take on another project or you can start another building another skill set. So your value add increases and your non-value add decreases, right? So I think being able to have the conversation with teams to understand, you know, what is your what is your view on AI? What other things would you like to learn or be part of to replace that 20% of non-value added activity? to help your career, to help growth. I, I think AI is going to allow us to do things that, yeah, it's out of our comfort zone, but being out of your comfort zone doesn't mean it's a bad thing. You know, you could learn a different part of the business. You could learn a different skill set. You know, you could learn things that will bring more um, fulfillment to your role in the company. It, it doesn't have to be a bad thing if you explain the benefit and if you have a conversation with your teams. I think a lot of times companies don't have those conversations. They don't explain it. They don't show the benefit up front. Even before it's coming, they're like, just like, oh, here it is. Here's your, you know, here it is on your desk. Yay for you. We're going to love change. It's like, wait a second. <laughs> Why don't we understand how our organization is feeling? Why don't we show them, give them examples, you know, give them information so they can, you know, absorb it and ask questions. I, I think that when you don't ask the questions, it doesn't show that mutual respect companies are are wanting in their culture, right? It's a two-way street. If, if you want me to do something, I need to understand why. 
I need to understand how it's going to benefit me. How is it going to benefit my job? You know, people spend a lot of times at their jobs. They're sacrificing times with their family and with their outside interests. So we have to make sure what we're doing is understood and seen as a benefit than a hindrance in the company. Right. Yeah. In a nutshell. I could talk about this all day. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a cool topic. I mean, it's, it, it's really interesting and it's, um, Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation of change management and AI when we return from a quick break on Transformation Ground Control. Hi, this is Eric Kimberling, the CEO of Third Stage Consulting, and we recently hosted our Digital Stratosphere 2022 virtual event. It's three days of packed content related to digital transformation best practices, about 16 or 18 different workshops and different speakers that are presenting on different topics, everything you need to know about transformation. The, the bad news is you, if you miss that event, the event's over. The, the live event already happened. But the good news, if you've missed it, or even if you did attend it and you want to see replays or you want to catch the sessions you missed, you can do that now by going to stratosphere2022.com. Go to stratosphere2022.com, register. All you have to do is put in your, your name and email address, uh, just a few fields. You get immediate access to all the recordings. And the recordings cover everything from digital strategy, um, software selection, organizational change, process improvement, architecture, data migration, cloud, trends in the industry, um, how to avoid failure, some of the legal aspects to think about, contractual aspects to think about as it relates to your transformation. All that is stuff that you'll get by registering for Stratosphere 2022 replay. And again, go to stratosphere2022.com and you can listen to all the replays of all the workshops that you might have missed at the event. So hope you check it out, and uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 64. We're here with Teresa talking about the role of AI and change management and how those two disciplines are coming together. It's also, you know, it's, as cool as it is and as, as much of a positive thing that it, it is in many cases um, in terms of how AI can help an individual do their jobs better and help the organization. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of great examples of how AI can, can help, but at the same time, I think there's a sort of underlying fear similar yeah. to what people, you know, back in the eighties, it, it seems like back in the eighties, it started a bit where people had this fear of robotics taking over their jobs, taking over manual labor type jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, now AI is another, perceived threat, you know, is it, is it going to take away my job entirely, you know, might be an underlying concern that people have maybe right now, maybe not right now, maybe not just by helping me automate 15 to 20% of my job so I can develop in other ways. But, um, you know, it might be greater than that. So I, I guess, how big do you see resistance to AI being, you know, from, from so, a people's perspective? So I, I think what you said is really interesting though. And I'd like to dive into that. Right. So you stated that back in the 80s, there was a fear of X, Y, and Z, right? It's all how you how you poise the conversation. If, if you start out with that fear factor, the unknown, that, you know, that scary monster under your bed, yeah, the first seed that gets dropped in my head is fear, resistance, hesitation, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I know they, they have this old adage like, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never, whatever. That's not true. Yeah. <laughs> words really put, you know, ideas in your head. And if we're able to craft the, the, the message of positivity, of growth, of abundance, 
of improvement. You're going to replace a lot of that fear building that's been happening over the past, I don't know, what, 30 decades or something, or it was 1980. I don't want to count because that'll age me, but whatever. Four-ish decades. <laughs> sure. You know, but there, there, there's a lot to said about messaging, right? A lot, a lot to be said about messaging and tone, inflection, et cetera, and how you roll something out versus, oh, I heard, I heard, you know, so what is the reality of the situation? How is this going to help me? What is the proof versus the, what I heard or the rumor or whatever? Because that's how resistance begins. I'm an employee. I heard this. I heard that. I have no evidence to suggest otherwise, except for my trusted coworker who heard from his brother's sister's girlfriend's uncle's friend. You know what I mean? So if we can get around those types of, of messages and communications and get ahead of the curve, that's why I, that's why I really want to talk about this and get it out there because this industry is coming no matter what. So it is our responsibilities as professionals and as you know, consultants or whomever, whatever title you want to say to get ahead of that, to understand what does it mean? How is it going to impact our organization? What are the benefits? How do we get people to embrace this versus, you know, the, the, the message of, oh, I heard my uncle's cousins lost his job because of AI. It's like, well, well wait a minute. What about improving your skill set? What about possibly, you know, expanding your role? What, what, what are the benefits of AI so you're not spending X amount of your time in non-value added work? I would even say, hey, you know, tell me what you don't like about your job. Even before this comes out, let's do a survey. What don't you like about your job, Eric? You're a PM. Tell me. Oh, I don't like that I spend so much time on my GAN charts. I don't like to have to go digging for data. I don't have to. I don't like having data that doesn't match up because, you know, I don't trust the, 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 the databases because we have work, you know, so all of these all of these points of confusion or um, of pain, you we need to address that. Okay, well, Eric, I heard what you said. You don't like spending 20% of your week on this. Did you know that AI can help eliminate that? So now you have only 5%. So what are you going to do with the other 15? What do you want to do, Eric? Oh, well, I would really like to do learn this skill set. Okay, well, let's try to get that done. So you have to replace that fear factor with something positive so you can create that willingness to hear me. Like if I don't communicate well, you're going to shut me down. You're not going to hear anything past. Hi, Eric. I want to talk to you. That's it. I'm done. You know, you'll doodle, you'll look in the sky or whatever. So I need to break that barrier so you can hear my message. And you're not going to hear my message until I respect you enough to listen. It's not going right. to Yeah. And it's also, it also uh, strikes me that this is why, or part of why organizational design is so important is because in order to, that, that conversation you just described, as far as what I like best about my job, what I like least, what I could be doing, and sort of what my possible role could look like going forward. I mean, you're sort of getting into the, the guts of organizational design. And that's, a, um, you know, just defining what someone's job, their roles and responsibilities are going to be in the new post-transformation world after deploying whatever technology, in this case, AI. Um, so I think, you know, in the, like in the example of the project manager, really honing in on what that 15 to 20% of their job that's going to be somewhat automated or partially automated by AI 
defining what that's going to look like and how they're going to do their jobs, what skills they need, how we're going to upskill that person or, you know, develop them in the way they need to, to, to support that technology. I think that's a part that a lot of people overlook. They just think, well, we're going to put the technology in and, it, you know, people are going to adopt it because it's great and awesome. It's going to help the company. Absolutely. Uh, it's, not, it's not quite that simple from what you're saying. It's not, but I, I like the way you brought that other piece of organizational design in it because, you know, here at third stage, we see the whole picture, right? It's not just a transformation or an ERP selection, or it, it, it really is the holistic view of how these pieces kind of fit together. And our expertise allows us to see that picture, right? We, we don't, we're not the, not saying organizations are, but we don't have that tunnel vision of, oh, this is what I need in that. There are other impacts and they really build upon each other. If you want to have a well-tuned organization, there are a multi multitude of facets that you need to address, you know, and then with, with you selecting an ERP or you selecting an MES or whatever technology you're looking for, there are other pieces you really need to consider to roll that out successfully. You know, like I, I say it all the time, we can either do it the right way or we can do it right now. What is it you want to do? Because they're, they're two different avenues, two different consequences. If you want to be, you know, have your tunnel vision, I want to do it right now. I don't care, blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, then these are the other things. I'm just letting you know, these are the other things that could be impacted. If you want to do it the right way and be successful and have, you know, your usage, your adoption rates up, you know, lower defects, you know, better customer service, better, better product. These are the things you have to address. The organizational design, the, the assessment, the change management piece, and you roll AI on top of all of that. How do we really um, bring all of that into fruition to be successful versus doing it right now? So again, Every decision a company makes, it impacts their ROI. It doesn't matter. Like, you know, this avenue or that avenue, what's what's going to be my impact? Because at the end of the day, it's about dollars. It's about providing a service, providing a product, making sure our teams are taken care of so they can really give the best performance or the best effort to creating a successful organization. And if, if you're not looking at all those pieces, you're going to miss something. And then put right. AI on top of all that what are we doing? Right. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I want to um, turn to the audience here real quickly. There's, um, first of all, thank you for all the feedback on where you're from today. So um, a lot of you commented on where you're joining from. So we have uh, Dennis from India. Thanks for joining all the way from, from India at uh, late at night, your time. Uh, Denver, Colorado, Parker, Colorado, Dallas, Texas, um, Glasgow in Scotland. Uh, <laughs> Tunisia, France, uh, Toronto, India, a lot of different places people are joining from today all over the world. So thanks for everyone for being here. And again, if you have questions that you'd like to ask Teresa or I, please feel free to drop those in the chat and we'll we'll get to those. Um, we'll start to get to some of the questions that are coming in here. Um, well, I'm from Washington and it's gray outside. Oh, that's right. You're you're in Washington. I'm in I'm in Las Vegas, Nevada. So we're we're all we're all in random places here today. There you go. There you go. Um, so I guess here's a question that um, I think might be on the top of a lot of people's minds. I, it's, it's sort of opinion, but you can also obviously introduce facts if you have them. Um, but, but I guess the question here is, do you think all of our jobs will eventually be obsolete because of artificial intelligence? In other words, should we all be, I know you mentioned before the, the power of words and the fear that, that comes with that, but 
is there uh, should be are people rightfully concerned that their jobs might be automated and therefore might be at risk in the future? Well, I, I would ask, what is your job? Like, what, what are you doing that would be 100 percent replaced by AI? That, that's what I would want to know. You, you know, from a doctor to a lawyer to a consultant to a restaurant owner, there are all there's always an aspect of value added versus non value added activity. So what part of your job do you feel would be obsolete if AI does come into your organization? I mean, that's to me, I don't believe people will lose their jobs. I believe their skill sets will shift. I believe that they will have a larger portion of, quote unquote, that value added activity, the, the, the greater sense of, of what they do as a profession so they can really focus their time and their attention on what they're paid to do. You know, let's not kid ourselves here. We are paid for what the customer is willing to pay us for. That's the definition of value added activity. If a client is not going to pay me to spend 20, 20% of my job fiddling through spreadsheets or collecting data or, you know, what have you, then what value does that bring to me, to my job and to the organization? So I have to be very, I have to be very cognizant of what do I do in my job every day that I need to increase my value. And, and let's just say you're looking at yourself, maybe expanding into the market. What does the market need? What what am I, what do I need to improve upon myself to become more valuable in the marketplace? I think that's what people should really be asking instead of, am I going to lose my job? And again, lose my job has that negative connotation, right? So why don't we shift to something more positive on, okay, what about my skill set do I need to improve to become more valuable or become more desirable in the marketplace or even in my own organization? I, and, and maybe it's my Sally Sunshine trying to come out from all this grayness, but I don't like to focus on the negative so much because I know how detrimental and powerful in a negative way that could be to a person in an organization. You know, that, that little seed of negativity of, of, you know, darkness, it kind of grows. And I don't believe people really want to be in that space. So instead of thinking, okay, I'm going to lose my job, flip it and say, what do I need to do to be more marketable, to have a better skill set, to improve my skill set, to, to grow within my industry, or maybe I want to, you know, do something else. What is it that I want to do in particular that'll bring more value and more satisfaction to myself? I don't, I don't, I don't really like that. You know, I'm going to lose my job. There's so many other things that we could be focused on to improve our personal standing as well as our standing in an organization that we should, I mean, we, I know the questions are going to be asked, but again, that comes from a place of fear. What do I need to get out of that to create, a space of abundance and happiness. And again, it's a little fuzzy bunny. I get it, but we're people. We're not machines, right? We need to have the balance. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Probably not yeah. what you were looking for, but. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a good, um, I mean, it's a good, that's exactly what I wanted to get at is I think it's, there is, you know, there tends to be fear of technology <laughs> in general, not just AI. But technology mm -hmm. in general, I think there's a general fear that people, you know, you, you mentioned earlier how in the absence of information and clarity, people will create sometimes a 
worst case scenario for themselves, their perceived scenario for themselves. And so that's why clarity of what people's jobs are going to look like and how their contributions are still going to be valued and how they're going to use these new technologies. All that clarity has to be there or else people will revert to uh, the negative at times. A hundred percent. And then you're going to have, you know, people protesting and, you know, pitchforks everywhere. So, and again, it's, it's interesting to me how people think when they receive a message. It, it's instinctual when I look at someone and I say, okay, did they receive it in a positive way or in a negative way? And that really helps me as a change manager, management pr professional to, to scope my next step and message, right? Because I have to address the way they receive the information. Um, and unfortunately, I think we as a, as a society have been conditioned to embrace a negative emotion or a negative message and run with it versus let me help me, let me help you, let me help, let me help you to see the positive and how you can be successful. Oh, you're full of it. That's not true. You know, <laughs> anything right. with that positive reinforcement or, or. Um, that type of messaging is really met with more resistance, in my opinion, than, oh, my gosh, the world's blowing up and you're going to lose your job. <laughs> and people are like, yeah, you're right. They are. You know, wait a minute. Right. What's right. going on? So, yeah, it's just it's interesting to me when I hear people and see how they accept messages. It kind of speaks to a little bit of how they think. So, yeah. Now. Now, if we shift gears a bit and then look at um, AI and its role in change management as a discipline. So we've sort of been talking about how AI impacts an organization and how change management is so important to help people navigate the changes that come along with AI technology. But if we sort of switch that around a little bit now and look at the change management function and discipline within an organization, how can AI enable better organizational change management? And it, what are some use cases or do you have any examples of how that might happen? So I know that one thing that as a change management professional that I spend a lot of time on is the data analytic piece, right? So within an AI environment, if, if I were to have that, I would have the data at my hands to make decisions quicker. Because in an organization's time is money, right? So if I know of an initiative that's going to the left sooner than later, I can address that. So the predictive analytic piece of an AI bot or what have, whatever you want to call it, in my opinion, as a change management professional would be imperative. It would be something that I would use constantly because if I can identify the problem sooner, quicker, I can identify a root cause sooner and quicker and make those changes, bring the teams in, talk about it, and have the execution sooner, which it has a direct link to an impact to the ROI. So that's one of the pieces that I'm really interested in seeing how it would work um, within an AI environment is being able to have that predictive analytic uh, synergy for the team members and helping them to understand the data because you know you want to talk about data that's that's another thing people are afraid of they're afraid of numbers you know they don't know how they how they gathered how do they get calculated how do they get used etc so if i'm able to bring that to the team 
as, okay, here's the data set, let's talk about it, instead of, hey, I need everyone to gather the data and we got to figure out how to analyze it, et cetera, et cetera. That removes another fear right there. So the data analytic piece to me is going to be one important uh, benefit to change management. Um, another one is, again, the training and onboarding and the adoption of these digital platforms. I think there's a lot of work that the AI could do to help facilitate the training and onboarding and measure it and making sure that we're, we're completely, um, the teams understand it. Um, they have, if there are any gaps in training, I can identify it sooner. Um, onboarding, there are no holes missing. We can make sure that that program addresses everything we needed to address and then look at the analytics to see how we're performing. Right. Yep, and you mentioned that. Sorry, I'm gonna, I'm about to sneeze right right as you finish okay. your. Okay, uh, I was trying to cough for the last twenty minutes because I have like asthma. Like, <laughs> right as you finished, I was about to hit the mute button and sneeze, and then you finished, and I couldn't quite get to it, so I'll try to hold back the sneeze. Um, it's, it's really dusty. I'm in the desert right now, and there's a windstorm or a sandstorm yesterday, so oh, it's super yeah. super uh, sandy in the air right now. Um, so I, I guess you know you bring up a couple good points. One is that. Um, only a couple? <laughs> oh, okay. Just in that one. I'm only joking. <laughs> There's a, but you mentioned how, you know, the use of data in change management. I think those are two words a lot of people don't put together, data. Really? Change management. And it's, it is a way to, to make something that's very vague and touchy-feely and hard to understand, that being change management and how people react to change. Data is a good way to sort of ground it, you know, to give it, um, form, if, if you will. It, it allows you to understand or anticipate where potential resistance might come from, what the sources of resistance are, how you're going to overcome it. And I think that you bring up some good examples of how data and AI could help help us do change management better by collecting better data and responding to better data, understand it, interpret it, anticipate how people are going to respond to changes. All that stuff could be enabled by AI. I think that's what you're saying. Is that fair? That is fair. That is fair. As well as to make sure that we're, we are using our KPIs appropriately um, and we're responding and we're responding um, sooner to them because, you know, when I have my change management um, initiatives, I make sure that we are meeting at a specific cadence. So a change doesn't go too far down the path. And then I discover that it's not working. Like that's the last thing you want to do is start to create a behavior that's not working and then have to go back and rip it all up and say, oh, we have to switch gears. So that's another piece of change management that I believe um, AI will help with is to be able to switch gears sooner and get to those, identify those issues um, sooner so we can create, we can discover the root cause and create action plans to move forward. Like you don't want to spend two weeks and then find out, oops, we're trending the wrong way on our data set. You want to get to it sooner rather than later. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation of change management and AI when we return from a quick break on transformation ground control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. 
With offices in the US, Europe and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 64. We're here with Teresa talking about the role of AI and change management and how those two disciplines are coming together. And here's a, a question that's, um, I'll be honest, it's a bit over my head, um, but we'll see if you have, you have a better answer for it than I might hear, uh, Teresa. And this is from um, uh, Andre on YouTube asked the question, which techniques in AI clustering regression or outlier detection is closest to change management? I refer to purposes, outcomes, and fit for purpose. Um, it's. I felt like this question was sort of like what you were just talking about, but I'm not. I'm not sure. What are, What are your thoughts? Do you have any? Um, which techniques in AI clustering, regression, or outlier detection is closer to change management? I prefer to purpose and outcome and fit for purpose. I'm not understanding what that really means, but yeah. I'm, but but for me again, um, when you look at um, the data sets alone and how we're performing in for, for change management. Okay. My teams are not going to look at that. They're not going to understand regression, clustering, anything like that. They're going to have the data set and I'm, we're going to discuss it and talk about it and say, okay, this, why is this going this way? I think the points on the data set maybe is what would be a reference to his question to understand which way are we trending to determine our next steps. Teams don't want to hear that. They, they don't want to have to go in and try to figure out why, you know, how the data set is moving or regressing. They want to know that, okay, it's not working. Why is it not working? And what do we have to do to root cause it to correct, to course correct, right? But that's my job as a change manager to, to get the data set to make sure that I present it to the team and we talk about the root cause, like what is causing this out of the different activities that we've engaged in. That's my opinion. So the regression and the clustering, et cetera, et cetera, those are, those are, those are the way the data is responding and, and on the, the, the graphics or the charts. So we, so I have to interpret it so I can say, Hey team, we're not doing this. It's not trending right. We're not hitting our goal. We're below our target. What do we need to do? All of that mess, or not mess, but all, <laughs> all of that work, in my opinion, the AI can help populate and show corrective action or show where it did not perform where we needed to perform. So I'm saving time. And now I have to interpret. And now we have to work on root, uh, not a root cause, but an action plan. Right. Yeah. I hope that was helpful because uh, I am not a data scientist, but you know what? <laughs> yeah, that was... I, I, know, I know enough to be dangerous. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so, um, so I think you've, you've given a, my next question was going to be some potential examples or use cases of AI and change management. I think you've given a good example um, that's, that's very relevant as far as how you can use data and, and use that to help anticipate and plan and manage for change better. Um, 
do you think that, um, you, you, so here's a, as we were preparing for this, um, or as I was thinking of questions to ask you for this, I should say, um, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about and fascinated by is I feel like this might be, this topic might be the first time where I've had a conversation with someone talking about um, something that is relevant to people that are focused on helping people through change, yeah. but they themselves might be uh, significantly affected or there might be significant concern or trepidation about the change. And that is, you know, the whole kind of turning the table now on, on change management practitioners and saying, now we have a technology that's going to help you, you do your job better for all of you that are helping other people through change. And so I just am curious, like, what do you think that AI's impact on the use on the change management community will be? And do you think that the change management community, those of us that are focused on this stuff for living, how open do you think we really are to AI? You know, is, well, is it going to backfire on us because we're the ones that are supposed to support change, but now we're going to resist the change or how, how, do, you, how well, do you see it? Okay. So, you know, I have an opinion on change managers who don't like change. Right. That, that, let me just, <laughs> let me just say that. Exists, right. There, there are a lot of them. I would, or not a lot, but there's a fair amount I'd say in the world. Honestly, from my perspective, I can do the data set, the analytic and the people piece and the technology piece. So it's, that's all, that's been my career. Um, as a change manager, I know that people are at the core of what I do. So I am not in any way, shape or form intimidated or have any fear with AI coming to do, coming to my practice and helping me do a better job. Because now I can focus my time working with Eric or working with whomever to help them move from an area of resistance to the technology to embracing it. An AI program is never going to be able to connect with you the way I can connect with you because we're people. I think that from change, if, if a change manager is solely focused on, you know, gathering data, interpreting the data, making charts, I think maybe then we need to talk about, okay, how can we get you to that, you know, next level of your practice? Um, but in my opinion, AI is really going to help facilitate the the work between the current state and the future state and understanding how we're performing so i can really focus my time on eric or on kyler or whomever to help move from a place of resistance to how can i do a better job using the technology that we just had implemented i, I have no fear yeah yeah. And I'd be curious to see, you know, if there are some that might fear it, you know, even though, the, you know, there's a, there's a certain amount of irony in that uh, question, I suppose that, you know, I'm asking a question about change management people that should be open to change. So in theory, there shouldn't be any real issues. But, you know, again, we're all human. And if in the absence of information or clarity, we're going to at times doubt, uh, doubt those perceptions. Uh, honestly, I think you hit it right on the head with that one. The, the information and the clarity is how we're going to get over this. I mean, even for myself, I'm uh, I'm learning about AI every day. I, I don't know enough about it to to have my practice, you know, have AI in my practice because I need to understand how it works. You know, what are the more, you know, what are the benefits? What is the growth? How does how quickly does the technology improve? All of those things 
I don't honestly, now that I think about it, I don't think I'll ever fully understand it because things are happening so quickly and they're changing so rapidly. I will never be an expert at that, but I will be able to understand it, to embrace it to the point of use, right? So if you look at the marketplace, Eric, it's exploding and it's changing so rapidly. My point is we need to get ahead of that and to understand it and embrace it and to use this to help improve our practice and our business. For who, again? Our teams and our end, our end call customer. Because we keep having these conversations, not me and you, but people have these conversations about, you know, an organization, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, it is important. But at the end of the day, we have a customer. If that customer does not buy from us or if they don't use our services, we don't have an organization. We don't have, you know, employees. So we have to make sure that we're looking at AI as how can it benefit our employees, but how can it benefit our end use our, our customer or, you know, the product that we're providing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good, a good reminder that we should be focused on that in customer and sort of looking at the greater purpose of what it is we do every day and how it affects our end customers. I mean, I, I hear a lot of conversations on a lot of platforms and yes, I agree. Employees are important. They are, but our end customer is also important because if we don't have someone paying the bills, to keep the lights on, we have no organization. Yeah. So we have to have that balance of what's good for, for our employees and our culture, but what is also what is going to help our consumer or our customer as well to keep coming back, expand our market share, to get a, a bigger piece of that pie. Yeah. Yeah. And organizations that are going through a transformation, whether it's with AI or any other technology, I think they'd serve themselves well by sort of keeping everyone focused on that. I think that gives you a lot of clarity and direction and purpose, you know, when you're going through a, a big transformation that, but yet, you know, so many organizations sort of turn inward and worry more about well, what does this mean for me? Or what is this, you know, how does this affect our, our team, which is important, but it is important. It, I mean, the other stuff. There, there needs to be a balance there. There is a duality there. Um, but it, again, at the end of the day, happy employees, productive employees, create a better product for our client or better experience for our client. So how do how does AI really fit into that? How are we going to tap into the power of that to create the experience, reduce the non-value added activity to produce a better service or product for our client? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess a longer term then, how do you think you know, do you have any opinions or have you read anything interesting in your research that would suggest how AI will affect the whole discipline of change management in the longer term? So the one thing that kind of sparked my interest and in number, number one is the fact that it's a tidal wave coming and you can't ignore it no matter where you try to hide. It's, it's coming. So embrace it. But number two is really being able to focus on my practice as opposed to focus on that data piece that becoming, uh, you know, that there's a lot of time in that. So if I'm able to have my AI monitor alerts, et cetera, et cetera, the, the pulse of my project or my initiative, and then I can really focus on root causing it and 
getting action plans going, helping the teams understand, creating that the culture of um, embracing what we're doing. I would rather spend my time during that doing that than having to research that you know pull the data, put it in you know an Excel or whatever, and create this and create. I would rather spend my time working with the people that are actually doing the job than gathering the data for the analytic. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be curious to see how, how that changes or how that, how quickly that evolves and gets adopted by the, the change management community and by organizations in general. Um, I'll be curious to see how just if, if we step aside from change management and, and user adoption, just how will AI be embraced or not, you know, by organizations. Well, well, on it, I mean, even when we had this conversation earlier, you know, people are thinking change management is, you know, a fuzzy bunny with a rainbow and we're all singing Kumbaya. There's so much more involved in that, you know, monitoring and um, creating those action plans and finding root causes. So all of that, I believe maybe I could spend a little bit more time doing the fuzzy bunny and rainbow stuff. I don't know. But, you know, if if we're able to to use AI in a productive, positive way to help create a better experience for our clients or employees, I'm all for it. Like if I could spend more time with like Eric and Kelly and Kyler and in helping everyone to kind of move towards the change with greater ease and higher adoption and usage. And I can help show you the benefit of what we're doing as opposed to, uh, as opposed to spending my time on that data analytics or, you know, developing those training um, platforms or onboarding or communication where it's more automated, then I can spend more time in my opinion um, in an area that I'm being paid to do so. Right. I bring more value to you if I'm giving you more of my expertise to help your teams move towards the change. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it kind of gets back to not being afraid of it and, and embracing it. It's easier said than done for, for many parts of an organization. But um, I think as leaders, you know, that's, that's what we have to do. Absolutely. And that's really intriguing to me. Like I would love to do a case study or something around that fear-based decision-making it, it's so interesting to me how people go for that first as opposed to the benefit or how it can help an organization or a team. It's just that, yeah. that psychology background of mine. I'm just like, why? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like when you think about AI, why, why is it that, or any sort of automation? Um, yeah. Why is it that people, you know, not, and it's not all, I mean, I think some people within an organization might be excited about any sort of change. They just like change. They like excitement or whatever, but then there's other people within an organization that, you're right. They, it's sort of like if you leave them to their own devices, they're not going to default to this is going to be awesome. It's going to be great. And I, you imagine all the possibilities they're going to default to this is going to suck. It's going to be different. I'm not going to like it. They're going to take away my job. This is just corporate trying to jam new yeah. technology in my throat again, just like they always do. You know, you sort of yeah. like a negativity that sort of creeps in. But but I think it's, you know, you if you leave an open void there and you get, you leave people too much room for interpretation or to decide for themselves what they think the future is going to look like. Um, you know, some might be positive, but others might be negative. And a lot of times the negativity will sort of outweigh or take over the positivity that, that might exist within that same team or organization. 
Yeah. So, so back to your other point of what a change manager can do to help um, use the AI. I think one of the things that they can do is to understand what AI is and the benefits of it. So unless you research it, like I've been doing and understanding what it means and what it can do for yourself and your own practice, as well as your organization, your clients, I think that the the industry won't embrace it because they won't see the value, which goes back to your earlier point of clarity, messaging, and understanding. Yeah. You have to provide that because you're, you're going to fear the unknown. It's human. It's, it's what we do. We fear the unknown. And until we understand what it really means and how it can really help us, it, there will be resistance to it. Yeah, it's a good point. And, and with AI, it being a, a newer emerging technology, there's a lot, that a lot of people don't know, um, ourselves included, you and I and others on, on our team don't know everything there is to know about AI. And there's a lot we're still learning. And so, you know, every organization, that's probably true. There's going to be new technologies that they just don't know a lot about. So that just further fuels the the need to provide the, the clarity that we can to, to counter uh, some of that. A hundred percent. And again, as I stated earlier, this is coming. It's It's not like a flash in the pan. It's coming. So we have to be ready for it when it does hit. And we have to be at the forefront of these types of initiatives to be successful. It's it's not going to go away. It's just not. Yeah. Yeah. Just like the cell phone went from like, you know, this big to (laughs) this big. It's it's happening. It's transforming. It's happening. So. Let's do the smart thing and figure out what it means and how we can use it to our advantage. Right. Absolutely. Agree. Agree with that. And that's actually a great way to, to kind of close it up or to summarize the whole conversation is, uh, you know, that that's, and those are good words of advice for any sort of change initiative, not even just AI related stuff. But, um, well, I want to thank you, Teresa, for bringing, uh, life to a topic that a lot of people don't know a lot about. And there's a lot I learned here today. So I appreciate you, um, having the conversation with us here today. It was really good stuff. Very interesting stuff too. That's it's sort of a, a cool combination of two total opposite disciplines. It, 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 they really couldn't be that much different. <laughs> Change management. And, uh, and AI. Um, but it, they don't need to be that different. They can, there's, there's a common ground there that uh, needs to converge in order for this all to work. So I want to thank you for your time and for being here today You're to welcome. discuss. Okay. Thanks, Teresa. Good stuff. Uh, really interesting conversation. Very different than anything we've talked about before on this show. Kyler and I will have some follow-up questions or, or discussion points based on that conversation. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology-agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com.
Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 64. And we just had a good conversation with Teresa talking about artificial intelligence and change management. What were some of your thoughts or observations related to that conversation, Kyler? Yeah, I, I mean, I thought that it was very interesting that our top change practitioner opened with some data. And that's why I always love talking to uh, Teresa, just because she just has such a well-rounded background of understanding, you know, from really technical things like business processes and, and data science um, to also understanding holistically the change management. But referencing that 48% growth rate of AI in organizations um, from 2022 to 2028, I thought that was a huge statistic, um, but definitely something that is is so important. Um, and I wanted to kind of dig in just a bit with you of how do organizations prepare for this tidal wave of change um, that is coming? Uh, it feels like I felt like very Game of Thrones vibe there, like winter is coming type of thing when you guys were talking about it. Right. So what are some things that organizations can do to kind of prep for this new frontier? Well, I think, first of all, I think, um, you know, the word tidal wave, you have to take it with a grain of salt. I mean, yeah. I think, you know, it is a, it is a trend that's building steam. And in that sense, it is a bit of a tidal wave, but in terms of how, how organizations adopt it, you know, they can define or create their own timing for when they adopt AI or any, any other sort of technology uh, for that matter. Um, so I think a lot of it is just, um, you know, educating yourself and understanding what AI is and what some of these emerging technologies are and really being prepared to think about and to articulate how the technology will affect your organization and, and really providing that sort of clarity of job roles and, and future state job design, all that stuff. That That's probably the best way you can prepare is just to educate yourself about the technology and then build the change competencies you need either externally, externally, or both mm -hmm. to be able to adopt to these technologies as they become more ingrained within the, uh, within your organization. Absolutely. And, and I really felt like the impact on that ROI or their standing, and um, that can be, you know, a huge issue when it comes to actually implementing these new technologies and just understanding the definition of AI. So I'm, I'm wondering as, you know, a company leader, how can you better educate yourself as to what is AI? What will it do to my organization? And how do I make sure that I'm, you know, bucking this trend of any sort of misunderstanding in communicating to my overall workforce, how this will enhance their job as opposed to make it obsolete? Yeah, well, you know, I think... Um... You know, first of all, is just thinking through how technology will fit within your organization is, is sort of the core fundamental part of that is, is just having a, a, a clear vision and definition of how technology is going to fit within the organization, how it's going to affect your business processes and, and the change management side of things. So I think that's more than anything, and sort of back to your earlier question, too, about how do you prepare for it? I mean, that's really the best thing you could do is, is to define that future state and to take your time to do that. Because the better definition you have, the better clarity you have around that future state, the easier, not easy, but easier it will be to, to manage and migrate people through the changes. 
Yeah, and I have to assume that it it would be helpful to reach out to an expert as well, right? Um, and helping you kind of set up like, hey, we've already taken an organization through in your industry through kind of this new technology and change. So let us, you know, scale some of those best practices and those proven methodologies to you. Uh, that sounds like to me, if I was, you know, a CEO of a business, and I'm like, okay, how do I understand this? Then that would be kind of my first step. So, yeah, yeah. Just get get help from people that know this stuff and right. have been through it before, and help have helped other organizations like you through similar types of changes. That's probably the best thing you can do to prepare and to have the uh, support you need to get through the transformation. Yeah, and uh, protect your in investment, right? That's kind of that insurance piece of okay, we purchased this new technology, but we we aren't sure we really understand what it means for our organization yet. And instead of learning from costly mistakes, I assume a lot of times that can be uh, an investment upfront to say, all right, let's you know get someone in here that ha knows what these changes will look like and will help us clearly communicate that so impactful purpose or showcase that proof that um teresa really referenced of like how how prove it how will this help my job and create that you know assurance within the overall workforce yeah yeah absolutely that is a good way to, to look at it and i also liked how you uh, you guys discussed like when you are experiencing this change, you have that opportunity to say like, okay, what don't you like about your job? What, what are some pain points that you have and almost approach it from that perspective of, Hey, like as a business leader, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to better understand your experience and then implement technology that will allow you to kind of take some of these hardships out of your job. And it's almost like a, a Jedi mind trick, if you will, that sounds a bit disingenuous, but I think it's um, a great way to kind of approach it as opposed to saying we're doing this and understanding right. the employee from the get go of the project. So I thought that was a really interesting perspective too. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's, it's, um, it's a, it's a forgotten perspective, but it's also yeah. one that needs to be balanced. You know, you've got to have balance between, you know, you obviously want to listen. I totally agree with what Teresa was saying there, as far as listening and understanding and empathizing, that's all really important. But there are times, and, and I guess this is where um, sort of uh, foreshadowing the conversation with Adam on, on project leadership, but this is where at times you do have to have sort of that strong leadership that says, look, I know you think your job should look like this, or you don't think your job should include these tasks or whatever, you know, getting that input, but, but then recognizing where to, you hate to say it, but to selectively, um, agree with and, and pursue some of that input and then knowing where to selectively disagree and say, well, that that's not consistent with where we're headed as mm -hmm. an organization. So let's sort of provide more of the, uh, the top-down direction or top-down communication on what, what that's going to look like. So sort of a balancing act that's tricky and it's hard and it's, it's, uh, it's part art, part science, but I think that's an important thing that good leaders need to do is they do need to listen and empathize, get the feedback on what the jobs could and should look like in the future but they also have to provide clarity of, well, this is what our vision is and this is where we're headed as an organization. And sometimes those two things don't match up completely. And so as a leader, you, you sort of have to power through those, you know, decisions in, in navigating that. Absolutely. And I think that is just a great overview of why Adam and Teresa are such great peers. Adam is a project manager by trade and has, you know, very little tolerance for, um, sometimes more of our fluffy side of 
the business. And um, Teresa has just such a great understanding of why those things are important. Not that Adam isn't a great change practitioner in himself. He just, he really sees it from the lens of the data, which is what AI is, right? Is giving you the opportunity to make decisions and understanding the overall human component. Teresa really is, is excellent at, uh, at really um, helping businesses through that. So we have a very diverse director tier here at um, Third Stage. And I think that's why our approach works so well, because we really assign the right personality and team tailored to the client work as opposed to, you know, what resources are available. So that's kind of our, our unique approach um, within that. I like how you kind of said, you know, there is a balance between that. Um and, and thinking about kind of AI in that more disciplined data perspective, um, I thought it was really interesting how she she referenced, you know, really time is money. So having those resources available and more clear and understandable through AI and using that data as a resource to make effective decisions is definitely yeah. so important. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's not something you always think about, you know, when you think about change management, a lot of times you don't think about data at all, let alone mm -hmm. data to the extent that it can support artificial intelligence. Absolutely. And, and again, in that perspective of that is an enhancement to the business, right? Having those abilities to automate um, certain role functions or even to measure the perspective of the organization and create um, metrics behind things that typically aren't a hard science like culture that can be moving and difficult to understand and, you know, isn't just a report you can run off of a system, but that's what AI is, you know, to align and adapt with those strategies that can really help to bring actionable enhancements to the business. So definitely a really interesting piece there. Um, I love, I loved how you said, have the tables have turned, you know, yes. our change practitioners, which is a very interesting question. A lot of times um, they haven't in these methodologies built out a huge piece of how do you utilize data? We talk about it a lot because we want to showcase the value of change management to our overall audience and community here at Third Stage. Um, but so I want to ask you the same question. Like, do you think that um, this in your entire career as you've spent as a, a top thought leader in change management, do you think change managers are going to be able to embrace AI and new technology like they um, really practice what they preach type of approach? I don't know, honestly. I really don't. <laughs> I, in fact, I'm fascinated and curious to find out. Um, I think you'll probably you know, have a, a mixed result, I would think. You're going to have some that are super excited about it and embrace it. And then you'll have others that, despite the irony of the fact that they're change practitioners and they themselves are helping organizations through change, they themselves resist and fear change. I'll, I'll admit I am one of those people. I, I resist change. I'm, I might be um, one of the more stubborn, difficult to change people in the profession. Um, maybe that's why I don't do it as much anymore. And I have other people that are better at it, like Teresa. <laughs> they can do it. They can do it for us. Um, but I, I think you'll find, um, I think you will find that uh, it's probably a mixed bag, but I, I will be really curious to see it. But I think more than anything, though, um, uh, you know, despite the fact or despite, despite the question of whether or not cha the change uh, industry or the change practitioner field openly accepts 
um, the whole concept of, of AI. I think the bigger change thing that's happening here in the bigger underlying uh, opportunity is to really use more of a data-driven approach to change mm -hmm. management. And, and Teresa was talking about, um, I forgot her exact words, but unicorns and rainbows and- Fuzzy puppies. bunnies. I wrote it down. Fuzzy, yeah. fuzzy bunnies. <laughs> she's talking about the fuzzy side of change. And she and I, you know, the part of the reason she's on the team and part of the reason that I really wanted to hire her when we first hired her was because she, she and I have very similar views of what change management is and should be. And, you know, she does focus on the data-driven aspects of it or, or the, the tangible aspects of change. And I think that's something that we as change practitioners can learn from, whether it's with AI or not, is just looking at things from more of a data-driven perspective, not just a human, emotional, fuzzy bunny mm -hmm. uh, perspective. You, you have to converge those two things and bring it all together. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, as she said, you have a customer and that's the reason that you're an organization. Um, so understanding how that enhances the customer experience and ultimately drives additional business or retention, those types of things. Um, so I, I think that I like how she always brings it back full circle of, you know, we have we have job to do at the end of the day. And it's to make sure that we are clear of how do we create more money, more revenue for the organization, while understanding that there can be disruptions with new technology and how do we make sure that we mitigate any of those risks of losing money from a baseline perspective. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yep, makes well, great conversation. Sense. Yeah, definitely great conversation with Teresa. Um, she did do a, a great overview of change management for our recent digital stratosphere event, which is available on our third stage YouTube channel. Um, and you can also still go to stratosphere2022.com uh, and actually register for the event and see the on-demand replay of the entire conference, which she had two different, uh, she did one keynote, and then she also was on a panel about business intelligence, which we recently had on ground control as well. Um, so definitely check that out for um, more from Teresa. Yeah, absolutely. Good, good resources for sure. So thanks for, for sharing those with the audience here. And uh, we're going to shift gears a bit, um, although not not terribly so. Yeah. I think there's a lot of a lot of overlap here, or uh, some similarities with uh, what we just talked about with AI and change management. We're going to shift gears now and have Adam Sheetham on the show, who's a, also a director of strategy and transformation at our U.S. office, and he is going to um, talk about project leadership in digital transformation and some of the things you should be thinking about and some of the characteristics you look for in, in good project leadership within uh, transformation. So this is something you'll want to listen to. Uh, for any team member, really, that's on a transformation, mm -hmm. but especially if you're a, a leader or an executive within an organization going through a transformation. So we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll have Adam Cheatham on the show. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. 
Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 64. My name is Eric Kimberling, and I'm excited for our next conversation here between Kyler and Adam Cheatham to talk about project leadership in digital transformation. And this is actually a conversation that we uh, recorded, that Kyler recorded for our sister podcast, which is called Digital Stratosphere. Um, be sure to subscribe to that uh, channel as well, or that podcast as well, if you don't already. Um, just so you know, uh, the Stratosphere podcast is typically more of a, a short form, bite-sized segment sort of uh, format versus the, the longer form uh, freestyle uh, approach to uh, transformation ground control. So be sure to check out that um, podcast if you like the little, if you like the 15 to 30 minute episodes and bite-sized chunks, um, you can find that on all the same platforms you find transformation ground control. So that all being said, let's play you a clip, uh, this clip from uh, Kyler and Adam talking about project leadership and digital transformation. Well, we're really excited, you know, to dig into this project side. And I, I want to take it from a few different lenses when we talk about how you structure a client's internal leadership team, and then also how you support on um, the actual third party consulting side um, when it comes to things like vendor management. So can you give us just a baseline to start out about what a project leadership structure should look like for your clients? Yes, so um, a couple of things come to mind when I hear the, the question, what is project leadership structure? Um, and the first thing that comes to mind is that leaders come in all shapes and sizes at, at all different places in the organization. So what you really want is a project structure full of leadership. Um, and it, it goes from, it starts at the top and it kind of rolls its way down where you have a steering committee um that is that the, that everybody involved in a digital transformation project is accountable to you also have a project sponsor who is accountable to the steering committee and the project sponsor becomes the single executive level lead on the project itself um, this person is usually um the one that's the closest to the project by nature um in an ERP implementation, for example, depending on the organization, this could be a CIO, this could be a CFO, um, it could be a COO, just depending on what it is you're trying to get out of this, this project. And this um, sponsor tends to be a part of the steering committee as well. Um, this person's role generally tends to be the, the conduit between um, the executive leadership and the project team itself. Um, project team should have a number of different roles on it. Um, number one, the role, number one role is going to be program manager, program management, however you want to title it. There may be multiple people fulfilling this role, depending on the complexity of your project. But what you're looking for is somebody who can facilitate the completion of project activities in this space. Um, you'll likely have an, a project manager from your uh, software vendor. Uh, you'll likely have a project manager internally, um, and you may have other project managers depending on other, how many other vendors are involved, at which point we start to think about program management, which is that leadership position that helps make sure all the projects are playing nice together. And then the, the, the last role that's worth talking about in a leadership position uh, from a project structure uh, that's that's common is the project core team that is usually a group of subject matter experts who will be dedicated to the project itself. Um, you, what you're looking for in a, a, a good core team member is leadership qualities um, across a multitude of functional areas. 
uh, in a full-blown ERP implementation. We're looking at finance. We're looking at production, uh, production planning, uh, demand planning, and MRP. Um, sales is usually involved, of course. Uh, customer service, depending on how many um, functional areas you're covering in scope, you should have a core team member who can stand for uh, stand in place in each of those areas uh, to make decisions along the way throughout the implementation and the project itself. They should also be somebody who knows the other people in the organization, the subject matter experts to say, hey, we need Jimmy uh, for this conversation because he's the one that does that every day. At the core team level, you're looking for folks that are considered leaders in your organization. This is one of the harder decisions to make um, in an ERP implementation because those are usually some of your best people who are indisposable in their roles. Um, and what we're asking to do is to remove them from those roles and put them in a different position. Um, people usually look to those kinds of folks for coaching opportunities. Hey, what do I do here? What do I do there? I um, mean, you're looking for a positivity in that. Um, I like to also recommend one other leadership role, which is change agent, and you're looking for leaders in the organization that um, can convey a positive message about how the project is going, what the purpose is, and engage the rest of the organization who may not be directly involved so that they know what's going on, how the change is going, going to happen, those types of things. So leadership happens at a lot of different levels within a successful uh, digital transformation. Absolutely, and that was a lot of really great information. So if you don't mind, let's unpack it just a little bit. So can you kind of differentiate the steering committee that you mentioned um, and their roles and responsibilities or who might be an example of who would sit on that committee within the organization and then maybe compare that to the ERP core team? How are they different and yeah. how do they um, collaborate? So your steering committee is all top level executives, um, at least in a typical ERP implementation, and that's appropriate. Um, your CEO, COO, CFO, CIO, those that C-suite is very often the, the steering committee. You may also, depending on titles within your organization, have more like department heads, directors, vice presidents, whatever their title is. You're looking for the executive leadership and the functional areas that are going to be impacted by your implementation. So when somebody goes and talks to the uh, to them and says, hey, you know, this uh, somebody on this project team wants me, me to start spending 20 hours a week on this. That sounds ridiculous. Um, that steering committee sponsor or the steering committee member can say, actually, that is what I want you to do. I want you to spend 20 hours with it because it's that important to, to us. It's that type of a person and decision making position that is the, uh, what we look for in a steering committee member. Um, ultimately, what happens with, at the steering committee level is you have the major project decisions that are made by this committee. Um, should we customize this software system? Should we add scope and budget to this this ERP implementation? Do we need to bring on a third party uh, for this or for that? Um, those types of questions. Um, and then the, the, the most important question of all, which is your uh, go, no go decision. Are we going to go live? We're ready. Everybody says we're ready. Um, here's what they said the risks are. That should be a steering committee decision. Um, that's made in a joint fashion to say, all right, we all feel comfortable with this, let's do it. 
And then when it comes to the ERP core team, it sounds like they're more on the execution level as opposed to the decision making as around strategy. That's exactly right. So these are folks that are um, living and breathing this stuff operationally day in and day out. They know what know, know what it looks like on the floor. They know, they, they know what it looks like in the office and all of the operational things that will be coded into um, and configured in your ERP system. They'll be heavily involved in, in facilitating the, the, the design and the configuration of the system. And would those only be, say, IT folks, or what would that look like as far as uh, the different stakeholders involved in that conversation? That's a, uh, another great question. question. They would be from the business side. Uh, we uh, heavily recommend your core team not be staffed entirely by IT folks. Um, it's not uncommon for especially larger organizations to have a team of business analysts in IT who are responsible for each functional area. These are not the people you want on your ERP core team. Mm -hmm. You want the people who are actually doing the jobs. The people that your IT business analysts are going to go ask all of the important questions to. We want those people on your core team because this is a business project. This is a business transformation. And it should and the decisions that impact the the scope and nature of the project should be made at the business side of things. So these stakeholders not only sound like subject matter experts, but also leaders. And it seems like if you're an organization going through any sort of technology implementation, that might kind of hurt to take those people out of their day to day operations. So how do you kind of move through that transition without any huge disruption for the overall business? Uh, you, you just kind of had to take it one step at a time. Mostly what we what we like to recommend is backfilling roles so that those the people who are you're going to lift out of the organization and put into this project have the the space and time to do it. Um, you also want to get really, really refined on how you're scoping the number of hours you need a week from them and your system integrator. And, and other third party partners like third stage can help walk you through what that looks like. Whereas it's an eyes wide open conversation on how much time do we need of each individual core team member um, and at which points in time? Because sometimes that's heavy, sometimes it's lighter um, and it can vary by functional area. So talking through it, knowing what that is and thinking of it about um, in a lot of ways as a role as opposed to a person like I need a finance core team member that's a role mm -hmm. not a, not necessarily an individual person so you might split it right you might have you know the payable side and the receivable side and you might mm -hmm. have the two of them um to, to to minimize the impact you do want to be careful not to have too big of a core team um, most organizations six to eight is the right number of people for that so you don't want to get too big and have too many cooks in the kitchen but at the same time you want to be able to, um, you know, provide some flexibility for the people that matter most to your organization. And that's all excellent advice. What is some red flags or some mistakes you've seen that um, organizations that you've worked with have gone through when setting up their project leadership team that could be avoided? Um, the first is having a core team that's too big. You know, I've worked with core teams of 12 to 16 people and they're just paralyzed by inactivity. 
everybody wants to make a decision for their functional area and you stop seeing things as holistic and you start seeing them in silos, which very quickly devolves into um, combat situations like us versus them type of mentality. And that's that's not productive and it's not um, indicative of good leadership. Um, other things that we fall into is not having the right people. Um, you know, it's to say that, you know, our, our most important people must remain in their chairs and put somebody else that would be less than desirable in the core team project, not only um, waters down the, the impact of the, the project itself, it makes it seem like it's, if you can't put your best people on it, it must not be that important. Um, but it also puts you in a decision where somebody's gonna uh, somebody's gonna be responsible for making decisions for your most valuable people, and those most valuable people may disagree with the, with that path because they know more about what happens on the inside and outside. So having the right people um, and 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 really dedicating to putting the right people on the team is another key component of that. Um, the last thing is uh, for a third thing that. Um, is a is a common mistake in the core team, at least as I see it, is just saying, well, um, that person's already working 40 hours a week and we're going to do this implementation project. So now I'm going to ask them to work 60. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that type of hero mentality that is let's pile on our best people. Um, an ERP implementation shouldn't become a punishment for good work. Um, and it will be seen as that if you just pile it on because implementations are hard. Uh, they take a lot of time and thought. And uh, the last thing you want is you, the the 20 hours or a week or whatever it is you need from that core team member to be the least efficient 20 hours of their week because they're the their their hours 41 through 60 as opposed to having a, an opportunity to really dedicate themselves to the project. I'm sure that's a, a really relevant piece of advice right now as we go through kind of this great reshuffle and our labor market is challenged. Yeah. Excellent. Well, we're going to take a quick break and then when we come back, I'm going to ask Adam some questions about how third stage or third party vendors and partners help support that leadership team. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation talking about project leadership in digital transformation. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. Hi, this is Eric Kimberling, the CEO of Third Stage Consulting, and we recently hosted our Digital Stratosphere 2022 virtual event. It's three days of packed content related to digital transformation best practices, about 16 or 18 different workshops and different speakers that are presenting on different topics, everything you need to know about transformation. The, the bad news is you, if you miss that event, the event's over. The, the live event already happened. But the good news, if you've missed it, or even if you did attend it and you want to see replays or you want to catch the sessions you missed, you can do that now by going to stratosphere2022.com. Go to stratosphere2022.com, register. All you have to do is put in your, your name and email address, uh, just a few fields. You get immediate access to all the recordings and the recordings cover everything from digital strategy, um, software selection, organizational change, process improvement, architecture, data migration, cloud, trends in the industry, um, how to avoid failure, some of the legal aspects to think about, contractual aspects to think about as it relates to your transformation. All that is stuff that you'll get by registering for Stratosphere 2022 replay. 
And again, go to stratosphere2022.com and you can listen to all the replays of all the workshops that you might have missed at the event. So hope you check it out and uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control. We're here with Kyler and Adam talking about project leadership in digital transformation. You're talking with Adam Cheatham regarding leadership in digital transformation. So in the, the first part of the episode, we covered kind of the internal structure of what we advise our clients to kind of arm their leadership team or structure it. So now I kind of want to dig into how third stage and other vendors, software vendors, system integrators, all those types of partners fit into that project leadership team. Um, so Adam, welcome back, first of all. Of course. So when you are going into um, this conversation about how do you structure your leadership team with your clients, where where does third stage fit into that? That's a uh... No, it's an important thing to think about. Um, the way that I always like to frame it is implementations are a lot of work and they have a lot of jobs that need to get done. And that's that simply is fact. Um, where third stage fits in is when that list of jobs is longer than the client is capable of handling themselves. Um, you know, program management, for example, managing all of your vendors together so mm -hmm. that they're all on the same program plan and you have a consolidated plan for the whole ERP implementation. Um, that's a really difficult task. You got to manage your ERP vendor and anybody else that integrates with them, including your IT teams in this, the existing software. And your ERP vendor is only going to focus on ERP mm -hmm. and whatever it is they signed up for. All the other stuff that happens outside of that is your responsibility and that's a job that needs to get done so program management and and handling all those third-party vendors in, in conjunction with your erp uh provider is a rule that needs to happen um we like that role from an independent perspective because it puts uh, it creates a lens of how do i know when this is just hard versus something is wrong and having an experienced partner in that space um, we find is is really valuable and prevents a lot of heartache later on in the project for being able to say, yeah, that's that's normal. It's, it, I, I realize that it's not what you wanted to hear, uh, but that's normal and that's going to be it's going to take a lot of work and we're going to get through that and that's fine versus what isn't normal and, and being able to confidently make good, strong decisions quickly when necessary um, is it's difficult to see from the inside out. So a third, an independent third party, like a third stage, <clears throat> is, is capable of being able to tell the difference between what's hard and what's wrong mm -hmm. and be able to uh, counsel you through those types of things. So do you ever experience clients that, that haven't done that at the beginning of the project and have to engage a partner like third stage in the middle of their implementation or even after a failed implementation? Um, remediation projects are always very difficult and very specific to each individual client and their experience through it. We do quite a lot of this. Um, the hardest part is figuring out where are we and how do we get back on track and then setting an expectation that that's that we've made a move in that direction. Um, regression to 
prior habits is a problem in remediation types of projects where it's we're back on track for now. Um, but the prevailing uh, winds from a pro, uh, from a change management perspective are here we go again. They started up that ERP project again. Um, you know, now they, I'm going to get meetings all over my calendar uh, for the next couple of weeks, but I don't need to worry about that or really attend them because it's going to go away again anyway. Uh, that's a really hard thing to confront in the remediation effort. Um, and we want to make sure that we're we're understanding what that could what type of an impact change management has uh, for for those types of projects because it becomes even more important to double down on that um, to avoid failing um, either again because you did already or um, avoid failing altogether because that's the direction that you're currently headed in. So it's uh, from a leadership perspective, this is where that change agent role that I talked about earlier can come in and become really effective. Um, it's not not typically a role that all system integrators call out as important in an implementation, but it can be quite useful, especially as you're trying to put things back on track. And speaking of system integrators and software vendors, where did they fit in the project leadership structure and how should they be viewed in going through any sort of digital transformation? Um, I, from a, a software vendor and frankly, from an independent third party firm like Third Stage is concerned, they should be considered as extensions of your team that report to your project sponsor. Um, you sign a services contract with these types of organizations. That means they work for you. Um, you also have to understand, though, that from a leadership perspective, their leadership goals are different for, than yours. Um, your leadership goals are to create this new digital environment that allows you to achieve all kinds of great benefits and efficiencies and, and all of that. So uh, we can put our, our our business in a more on a more modern footing. The system integrators leadership goals are get the software up and running and maximize revenue. Mm -hmm. uh, that revenue comes out of your pocket. Uh, that's their job. And uh, from a third stage perspective, you know, while of course we do, uh, you, know, you know, we are a professional services organization, our role tends to be more from a perspective of being able to say what is appropriate decision making and mm -hmm. what isn't and be able to coach and guide through those types of conversations so that those conflicts of interests um, on the on this on the vendor and integrator side are minimized. Thank you, Adam and Kyler. Good stuff. Great conversation. A lot of interesting and important takeaways for anyone that's going through a transformation, but especially for those that are leading transformations or part of an executive steering committee or an executive team of an organization going through transformation. So when we come back from a quick break, we're going to unpack some of what Tyler and Adam discussed. But first, we'll take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices 
at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 64. You can find new episodes every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and all the audio podcast platforms as well. So be sure to check us out there. And uh, so this conversation or this topic of project leadership and digital transformation, interesting conversation you had with Adam, what were some of your thoughts and takeaways after the interview? Yeah, you know, I wish I would have named it like Digital Transformation 101, because I, I feel like it's really a a great baseline for any sort of not only project leader, project manager that's going through any sort of digital transformation or, or planning on it, because it describes like what should your internal team look like? What is an ERP steering committee? What does that mean? And then also the second half of the episode is how do partners fit into that and where should they lie on the leadership side? So I think a lot of times we have kind of misunderstandings of like, what is an ERP core team? Who sits on that? And what's the steering committee and, and those different things. So I thought it was great how he kind of broke that down for our audience to say, you know, the steering committee is the leadership committee. You know, that that's the people that really are the decision makers and the ERP or whatever technology implementation core team are the people that are responsible for making, you know, the day-to-day -day decisions and timelines of, you know, the overall project. Um, so I don't know how you feel about that, but I feel as an organization, a lot of times that can be um, misunderstood about who should be on the steering committee and who should be on the, the core team when it comes to actually execution of the project. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a good point of clarification and just a good reminder of, you know, what all these different roles are and how important they all are and, and how many moving pieces and moving parts go into a successful transformation. Yeah, and I think from from a project manager standpoint, that is the most interesting role I think I've ever experienced in my entire career. Um, just because you have to, you know, really set the tone for the project. You know, we're going to stay on time, we're going to stay on budget, but also have like this deep layer of understanding of, you know, why did how does this affect the sales team? How does this affect the supply chain team, the manufacturing team, really having that full lens and not only that, but capturing it. Um, it's kind of like a, a funny backstory. I actually met Adam, we're married um, at a different organization um, where he was a project manager on a project that I was part of from the sales and marketing perspective and I always remember like he would only do 30 minute meetings and he would literally write down everything that we said. And it always drove me crazy because I'm like, we need more time. And he would always say, no, you know, this is the right amount of time to capture what we need to do today without going down a rabbit hole of what we don't need the system to be able to do. Um, and it honestly always drove me completely crazy. But now after understanding like the real role of a project manager in these types of new technology implementations, that's really a, the point is to be able to capture all of that in a way that keeps the project moving. Um, so I just, I thought that was super interesting the way that he kind of broke that down. Yeah. And it clearly couldn't have bothered you that much because you ended up marrying the guy. So, well, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think when we actually, um, 
had a relationship that we, you know, we disclosed the organization, of course, uh, his entire IT team were like, what? You know, because I don't know if you know this about me, but I can be intense when it comes to making sure that the sales and marketing team is is moving. And I always am in that perspective of, you know, sales makes money and IT holds me up from making money because they tell me I can't do all of these things with my system. And his job was always to kind of like keep me at bay. So I still to this day, I think they are shocked that that <laughs> that's what that's um, relationship. <laughs> yeah, that we're married and ha now have two children. Um, so it's um it's just a, a funny turn of events, but definitely something important to understand when it comes to an overall uh, ability to cross collaborate or just I would say maybe cross understand is a better way um, to look at it um, and how how third stage then comes in and integrates with the organization. I thought was really interesting, too, from that he'd covered, you know, what does a system integrator do? What does an actual software vendor do? And then what is the the benefit or even some drawbacks of an independent consultant? Um, and where should they fit in within the project team? So he yeah. really kind of um, preached what we talk about a lot is that that ERP core team, it's not that they have to be experts in the technology right now, but they do have to understand the strategic goals of the organization. He cited how dangerous it is to have an outside party do a, like a business case for you or set those strategic goals because it's not their goals, right? It's your goals as an organization and understanding how to do that and align is so important or your project's really not going to go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that alignment is what gives you sort of greases the wheels or gives you the, the tailwinds to be able to overcome the resistance that inevitably happens in a transformation. Yeah. And, and he under, and a lot of times I ask most of our guests this because I think it's a big misunderstanding when it comes to technology independent and agnostic consultants is that they don't like software vendors or they don't work well with system integrators. And that couldn't be farther from the truth. They're truly seen as partners. Just the agnostic technology consultant is there to consult or be an advocate or even a translator, I would say, for the business to just understand how these different partners support their project, not own it. Uh, and I thought that was a really a well put way. Uh, because a lot of times we can get that misperception that we don't like software vendors because we do, um, you know, showcase a lot of industry bias uh, in in that area. And, and that's not true at all. Um, yeah. So I wanted to get your reaction to that. You know, obviously you are uh, the first to be that thought leader in the software industry of saying like, well, no, that might not be correct or those types of things. And kind of just explain um, from your perspective how you do partner with software vendors. That's part of our, our role. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a, there's a fine line between partnering with and collaborating with uh, software. Yeah. That's vendors, a good point. Yeah. Which we do do. And, and that's uh, something we're good at, but the reason we're different and, and it's a really important, but subtle uh, difference is that we're not compensated to tow mm -hmm. the company line as it relates to software vendors. So in other words, we're not there to promote certain uh, 
products or to mm-hmm. force technology in general down anyone's throat because it either it fits an organization's strategy and direction and that they're trying to go on their roadmap and all that stuff, or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, then we're not going to try and force it. We're going to find the best technology or technology solutions, um, not just in the evaluation phase, but also in terms of how we deploy uh, technology throughout a transformation. So not having that economic bias or that um, financial incentive to push a product is really important because you want someone that's looking out for you and really only serves one master. In our case, our clients are our masters. That's who we're serving. Mm -hmm. So yes, we need to collaborate. Yes, we need to work with vendors. We do that really well. But at the end of the day, we don't represent the vendors. We represent Mm -hmm. our client. So that's, that's an important difference. And those two things are not always perfectly aligned. There are times where there's a conflict between what a vendor wants to do, what a vendor thinks is right, and what's really right and best for the organization. And the reason there's a disconnect is because what a vendor thinks is right is usually what's right for them and what's going to make them money, but that's not necessarily what's going to make you money or what's important to you as an organization. So you've got to sort of reconcile those two things. And that's okay. That's just human nature. And it's also part of the messiness of these sorts of transformations. But mm-hmm. having an independent and technology agnostic advisor to help you through that is is very important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we've had clients, you know, especially in our, our more SMB space, come back to us after, you know, they've selected their technology and say, like, I don't understand what the system integrator is saying. And that's totally normal, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So they're asking me for things I don't, I don't really get, you know, how do I make sure I do that? And then we come back in and, and more of a PM role to help kind of, again, like I said, translate what, what are they actually asking for and to make sure that there's no disruption to the overall business because of a misunderstanding. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's important. Absolutely. Well, if, if you haven't, um, if you haven't looked at kind of the team structure, how vendors fit in, um, we have a lot of content to follow up on that on both Eric and um, Third Stage channel as well. Um, and then you're definitely uh, able to reach out to any of our directors that you heard from today. Uh, personally, they always have their contact information on our YouTube channel um, and they're able to kind of answer any follow up questions that you might have about organizational change management, AI, or project team leadership. Yeah. Yep. That's good stuff. Be sure to check that out and uh, be sure to check out the Stratosphere podcast as well. If you you haven't already checked that out, that's the interview or that's what that interview was from, was from that Stratosphere podcast. So be sure to check that out. And um, that's good stuff. So thanks for, thank you for that interview, Kyler, and for uh, all the the great co-hosting that you've done in this episode. And thank you to the audience for joining us here today. And thank you for the the great questions that you all have. I really appreciate that uh, involvement. And as a reminder, you can find new episodes every Wednesday on all the audio podcast platforms, as well as YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Um, And be sure to subscribe to the channels too, if you don't mind. Um, It it helps us uh, just have a bigger following. and, And if you subscribe to the channel, like it, share it with your colleagues, get the word out there. That's immensely helpful to us. So we appreciate any support you can give us there on that front. Um, So I want to thank everyone for joining here today. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you next Wednesday on the next episode of Transformation Ground Control. 